0: Hey guys, you're listening to Drunk and Uncultured.
1: We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. I'm Lindsay. I'm Stephanie. And I always say
0: that we're back, but we're always back. We're Which always back. We never, we've never gone anywhere. Um, I mean, yeah, you're right. We've never gone anywhere. We're always back. Uh, still quarantine.
1: I was gonna say we're we're back doing another episode in quarantine. This is our fourth quarantine episode?
0: Um, at the minimum at this point, maybe five, at least four.
1: Time is a social construct at this point,
0: so... Time is a construct. (laughs) Who knows what day it is, what time it is, I don't know. No, I mean, I barely even know what day it is, or, like, what day of the month it is.
1: Well, I thought next weekend was, like, the second weekend in June, so there's that.
0: Yep. Yep um cool so um it's the second episode of the month and i usually talk about like what i've been binge watching i haven't really talked about that in a while but i feel like it might be interesting just because we're all binge watching things these days yeah i want to know what you're watching because i'm out of ideas of what to watch so i watched this really cute show on netflix called never have i ever um, it's ten episodes long. It's brought to you by Mindy Calling from The Office, The Mindy Project. Um, Can I stop amazing. you for
1: she- a second? I thought you—I was really close to being like brought to you by
0: viewers like you. <laughs> and and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, she's just really funny. She's an Indian-American actress, writer, producer. Um, she did a lot of writing on The Office, uh, so some of, like, the best episodes. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think, like, the wedding between Pam and Jim was by her. Um, and then she did her show, The Mandy Project. Um, but it's a great show. So the premise is... Um, so, actually, before I get into the premise, I want to talk about something cool that she did. So she did, like, an open casting call, and it's... The, the show's about, um, like, an Indian family. Oh, so she cool. did a an open casting call for South India or South Asian or South Indian, I think, um, women. So one for the lead, one for the leads mother, and then another one for the leads cousin. Okay. Um, so like pretty much anybody could audition for it. Yeah. Um, and it's extremely inclusive. So it's, it's very ethnically driven. Um, you know, the, the leads two best friends are one's, black and the other one is asian um it's it's just great to see um so the premise is um the main character whose name is davy um her father dies which happens within like the first couple minutes because it kind of it happened before the show started okay and it's really about her navigating um through high school with her like dead father um, and like some crazy stuff happened to her. So like her father died and she was like paralyzed, but it was like a mental thing. Um, so it's, it's like a coming of age, um, show, but it's really wholesome. Uh, but it's extremely witty. So like there within the first couple of minutes, um, ramen's dancing on my own plays. The music nice. choices are just phenomenal. Um, but it's extremely, it's funny. So my friend Joe or our friend Joe, not my friend, former guest. um, former, former Joe. Yep. Um, suggested that I watch it because I was talking to him about, like, spice. And in one of the episodes, like, this white kid comes over, and the mom was like, um, adjust the spice level accordingly on dinner to the cousin. And the narrator <laughs> minutes later goes, even with the adjusted spice level, dinner was far too spicy for his white palate. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, But it's just, it's really funny. There's a lot of, like, minority humor where like in, it's not even so much like Indian humor but it's like if you grew up kind of like an outcast or as a minority mm-hmm. you'll you'll kind of relate really hard to this um, and it's just a really great representation of high school um, and what high school is and then kind of like bringing in different cultures and bringing in different um, perspectives of high school so it's not just mm-hmm. like a typical coming of age drama where it's like the main character is white it's a coming of age drama comedy where the main character is a minority and, like, has had all these disastrous things happen to her. Um, That sounds actually really fun. it's really funny. It's really good. It's pretty quick. It's, like, 30-minute episodes. There's only 10 of them. You can binge it pretty quickly. Um, It's a great show. I would definitely recommend it. Awesome. Like I said, I'm out of shows to watch, so that sounds fun. Yeah, it's a good show. At least watch, like, the first or second episode. Andy Samberg narrates one of the episodes. Oh, Nice. Um, and it's a, it's a really funny episode that he narrates and there's just a bunch of like cameos. Um, so You sold me on the spice thing. The spice thing is really funny. That's hilarious. There's a a lot of humor like that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about what beer we're drinking. Yeah. Oh, Oh, I never intro this. This feels so weird. What, what's going on?
0: (laughs) Oh, you're going to ask me what we're drinking? (laughs) Lindsay. (laughs) Lindsay, what are you drinking?
1: (laughs) Well, so I was going to say we're drinking different beers- This time. Yeah. Um, So I was going to say, Lindsay, what are you drinking?
0: I am drinking Jalopeche, um, which is a peach grisette from Brewer's Kitchen. So, um, our friends at Pilot Project brewed this during quarantine. Um, it's a, I'm not quite sure what style, like, a grisette is, but, um, it's got fresh peach puree, so it does say to keep it refrigerated, um. Because it has fresh fruit in it.
1: I always think of, like, a Grisette as, like, a blend of, like, a Sour and a Saison, where it's, like, neither. Yeah. But, like, those are the two types of flavors that I get most prominently. Like, a Grisette always reminds me of a Sour, but it's not that Sour.
0: Yeah, so I've had this, or had this last, earlier this past week. Um, and it, it actually reminds me a little bit more of a Sour mixed with a Farmhouse, in this case. That's fair.
1: Well, a Farmhouse got is more of, like, a straw. Yeah, the farmhouse is typically, like, a similar thing to a Saison, so.
0: Yeah, it's got more of, like, a straw flavor, and I always associate that with farmhouses. Stephanie, what are you drinking?
1: Today, I am drinking Brainwash from Illuminated Brewworks. so from here in Chicago. Um, funny story about picking up this beer So I got it, um, from curbside pickup at Beer Temple and I was, I had ordered it and I was like, wow, it's taking a really long time for this to be ready. Like normally my Beer Temple pickup's ready within like five or 10 minutes, but it had been 30 minutes and I was like, I can't, I like, what is going on? Like, this is not normal. So I called and, uh, our good friend that works at Beer Temple answers the phone. Shout out to Ryan. Um... He answers the phone, and I was like, hey, look, I've been waiting on my order a little bit. I didn't even say my name, and he knew exactly who I was, what order I I was talking about. He did when he brought it out to me, but, um, he was like, oh yeah, I'm looking for that illuminated brainwash, it's being an elusive motherfucker right now. And I was like, he has to know this is me, because if he said that to anybody else, that'd be super weird, but also I hope that's how he talks to
0: everyone else. So, I just googled Grisette and uh there's an interesting background to this. So, Ooh, tell me. it's a close relative to farmhouse ales of the French and Belgian region, French and Belgian region of the world. Did you call it French? Um, like cranch? I said France, but I said it weird. <laughs> um and it's so saisons, um farmhouse ales, those kind of beers are prevalent among agricultural workers. But grisettes were consumed primarily by miners. So the name grisette means little gray one, and um, it may come from, like, the name of stone. Um, But it's pretty low in ABV, so there's one's, I think, 4.1? Yeah, most grisettes are between 4 and 5-ish. Yeah, it's 4.1, which I kind of like. It's nice to have, like, a low ABV, especially, like... With it getting warmer, I sat outside and drank this, and it was like really nice because it was extremely refreshing.
1: Oh yeah. Um, so, beyond the fact that my beer was being an elusive motherfucker at Beer Temple last weekend, um, Brainwash is a farmhouse style saison. Um, it's wheat based, and they use Syrian Dragon, Mosaic, and Huel Melon hops, and it's According to Untapped, it has a tropical berry hop character, and it's fermented with this beautiful genetically modified yeast that sours beer without introducing any bacteria. Interesting. I don't know. I love illuminated. I just put new stickers on my laptop today, and I put my illuminated
0: sticker on. Nice. I love Illuminated as well, so I get it. Alright, let's taste these bad boys and say some words and get into the episode.
1: hmm
0: God, I love this beer. Okay,
1: so I like this beer a lot too, but I'm gonna be completely honest, my mouth tastes like the new anti-hero Malort. So, like, no matter what I drink, I taste the happy Malort. Which is fine, but it's really hard to describe what a beer tastes like when that's the most recent thing you've consumed. That's fair. So for so, those listening, I right before we recorded this, I recorded our Instagram TV video about the anti-hero velort, and uh, that's all I can taste right now.
0: So, so um, I'm going to say that this is like mildly sour. It's like very crisp and tart like light tartness so it's almost like got the tartness of like a lemonade almost that's a good comparison Uh, I've had that one that one's really nice yeah it's like very you can taste the tartness and I think maybe it's exponentiated by the fact that it's a little drier Mm -hmm. so it almost tastes a little bit a little bit more tart but it's not actually that tart um the peach flavor is very mild but it's still there uh, which is nice because it's like not overwhelming and it doesn't steal the show Um, I would say that this is kind of similar to like, it almost tastes like a champagne, like a Bellini, like, Oh, that's a really good comparison. It's got like a very champagne flavor and like with the fruit in it, it just tastes kind of like a, like a summer Bellini, like something that you're drinking at like brunch. Um, and with it being like a lower ABV, it's, it's pretty crushable in that case, but like you could easily like drink a few of these outside, um, and be fine, which is nice.
1: Yeah, so I got that beer the weekend they released it. So, what, three weeks ago or whatever the first time they released it? And uh, I think it's so. super good. I liked that one a lot. Yeah. Even Steve enjoyed drinking that. And Steve's super picky.
0: Yeah, it's got a nice effervescence. Um, so it, I think that's kind of where it gets like that champagne-y feeling from, mm-hmm. which makes sense based on the style. That makes sense. So I'm going to say... Um, Crisp, tart, and refreshing.
1: So Brainwash here is very, like, I get a lot of the wheat farmhouse type flavor from this. Um, so I think my upfront flavor, you get a lot of the wheat, but I think on the back end, you get more of the tart flavor from your typical farmhouse. But Because it has the mosaic in it, it tastes a lot more earthy. You just laugh, yeah. You just laugh every time I say that. Whenever you say
0: mosaic, I know what's coming, and it's just always funny to me because you always say earthy, and I'm just like dirt. (laughs) I mean, in my head, I I eat some ground.
1: mean in my head it's the same thing, but I've been told saying that it tastes like
0: dirt is not an appropriate way to describe something. <laughs> no, it's not. Saying something tastes like dirt is not appropriate. Just because it sounds like it tastes like bad it tastes bad, but like it's not like we're saying it tastes bad. It tastes like like, you know, if you were to eat some soil. Like 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 beets. They taste like dirt, but they're yeah. good. Yeah. Like just because something tastes like dirt doesn't mean it's bad. But the one
1: thing I think that's really prevalent in this beer is it's got the very yeasty flavor you expect like the Yeasty Boys? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> so it's got like a yeast, like a Belgian yeasty type flavor to it as well. Beauty and the yeast? <laughs> We're re-watching Letterkenny right now too, so like that's very prevalent. Um, but I will say that based, no, now that I know it's got a type of yeast that, um, it has less bacteria to it. I think it's got a slightly different flavor. Like, I can I can articulate and, like, I can designate the difference. But, like, I've been drinking other sours. It's got a less sour profile to it. Um, I actually like this beer a lot. It's really heavy, though. Like, ABV-wise heavy. And I've had way too much to drink at this point to be drinking a 7% beer. So, we'll see how this episode goes. But, um... The three words I would use to describe this are earthy, tart, and I would honestly say like hoppy because there's a good amount of hop to it when you don't expect that in your typical farmhouse or Saison or any of that. You don't expect like a significant hop profile, but this is a really nice hop flavor to it. So I think that's just the nature of Illuminated using like a ton of hops in their beers, which
0: I love. So Mm -hmm. I'm here for it. Yeah. I mean, I love IBW, so it sounds good. Um, Cool. So let's get into our episode topics or topic, not plural. So um, Stephanie mentioned, this is our possibly fourth quarantine episode, maybe five. I don't really remember. (laughs) Um, But the first one that we did was a quarantine update. So we wanted to bring you another quarantine update, but this one isn't actually based on us. This is going to be um, more of a like state of the craft beer industry update during. Yeah, the so
1: we wanted to talk about the state of well, not just the craft beer industry, but you know the state of affairs that we're aware of with everything going on because
0: this we... is our state of the union. Yeah, address.
1: sure, sure. That's how this works. State of the
0: beer, the Yeah. <laughs>
1: If we don't call this State of the Brunian, I'm going to be really upset. Because <laughs> that was amazing.
0: I mean, it doesn't fit our episode title scheme, but we can just go off and call it State I of the Brunian. Find,
1: I can find some kind of stupid title that relates to this. But um, here in Illinois, at least, well, so... To your point, we kind of wanted to bring an update to how, I mean, how we're doing, obviously, because we've been doing this for a while and how our lives have changed because of this. But we wanted to talk about a few industries that have been affected and some of the, like, crazy things that have just happened in general, because there's been a lot of madness happening within this pandemic. So mm-hmm. we thought it'd be fun to kind of, like, talk about some things that have happened over the last several weeks since the last time we, we, the last time we did this type of episode, we literally... the had, very beginning. Yeah, it was super early, and it was, like, the first time we had really talked about what quarantine was like, and now that we've been in it for some time, we thought it'd be fun to come back and kind of discuss, like we said, the state of affairs with yep. how things are going in general. So... Things have pretty much been shut down here as of March sixteenth, so that is I don't two know. months. It's a long time. Two I mean,
0: months and a week, seven nine weeks.
1: Yeah, so we've we've here been on uh, nine weeks. Um I think Michigan shut down, which is where you are right now, like the week after officially. Yeah, shut but down. I was in
0: I was in Chicago for that first week. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been out as well as long. Um I actually went to a brewery yesterday, um, in Indiana. in Indiana, because they are opening up at 50% capacity. Um, their infection and death rate is pretty low. I think on Friday they had like 13 deaths, so it's pretty low. Uh, which is, I mean, it's still a lot. Like 13 yeah. deaths sounds like a low amount, but it's, it's still a lot of
1: people. Yeah.
0: Um, it was kind of wild. Like, I felt extremely uncomfortable once I sat down. Like, once I got in there, I felt extremely uncomfortable. So, um, tell me,
1: or not just me, but, like, tell everyone listening, so, like, what the experience was like. So, like...
0: Yeah. So, we went to a place called Zorn um, Brewing. It's in Michigan City, I believe. So, it was about 20-minute drive from where we were or so. Um we sat outside, which I would have. I was way more comfortable sitting outside than I would have been inside mm. for some reason. Um, Did they have their indoors open, or was everyone outside? They had indoors open, so there weren't that many tables inside. There were maybe like eight tables inside. They're okay. all kind of far apart. Same with outside. All the tables are pretty far apart. I personally felt extremely uncomfortable um, in the beginning. Like I was like, I need to wash my hands. I can't touch anything. Um, they served all of the beer in plastic glasses. So like similar to what you'd get at like a beer fest or oh, okay. uh, not a beer fest. I uh, like a, at a, a regular festival. Got it. Where so like, they like could be like glasses, glasses tossed. Tossed. Yeah. Yeah. Which I actually, it makes sense to me because you can't really sanitize glassware as easily. Like you, you sanitize it regardless, but you probably, it's, it's just safer to toss it. Sure. Yeah. Um, so they served everything in that. All of the food was served in, um, those little like paper tray things. Yeah. There. Yeah as well um the the, i mean the servers bartenders were wearing masks and gloves Mm -hmm. but like nobody in the rest like obviously nobody in the restaurant was just because like you're eating um i obviously like chilled out as we like hung out but i was like super on edge um i refused to use the bathroom there and I, I don't know why, but that's kind of, like, where I drew the line. Huh. I was like, I'm just going to wait till I get home. Um, which is interesting, because I was talking to you that night about it, and, like, I can't imagine, like, going to a bar or a restaurant um, in, like, the way that we used to in Chicago, where, like, you're kind of packed. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. A lot of these breweries, like, you're waiting, or you're, like, elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder shoulder at the bar, waiting to get a drink. I can't imagine doing that without a huge level of anxiety at this point.
1: Yeah. um, I have a point later we can circle back to that discussion point. But um, yeah, it's going to be super weird. So I actually just saw yesterday that Michigan extended the stay at home order through June 12th.
0: Yeah, they did. But that's
1: not statewide. So, I was talking to my family about it, and I think there's some parts in the lower peninsula, but, like, in the upper area that have been allowed to slowly reopen. Because, like, I know Shorts Brewing has reopened. And they're opening for a reservation only. So, like, that's one interesting, interesting thing that people are doing in order to, you know, maintain their distancing yeah. and keep track of people that way.
0: Yeah, I mean a lot of the reopening plans kind of actually, like they're kind of frustrating to me. Um, just because like some of the places that are allowed to open, like when Illinois, like gyms, nail salons, barbers, um, that just seems like just as unsafe as a, like as the argument for not opening beer and bars and restaurants. Um, like a gym's a literal cesspool.
1: Yeah. So actually, I was saving this for a later topic, but I think, honestly, now that we're talking about it, it makes sense to talk about now. So, like, Illinois, at least, I can, I can talk to, because that's the only state I really know about, um, is, has announced, according to our governor, a five-stage reopening plan. And something that's been really interesting is hearing the different discussions between J.B. Pritzker and then Lori Lightfoot, who's the mayor of Chicago... Because obviously Chicago almost is like its own entity within the state of Illinois because Chicago is so big.
0: Yeah. And I, I remember that being like a big frustration with people when the closures happened was when they were talking about reopening, uh, a lot of cities were like, we don't want to be looped in. With, with Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. It shouldn't be like a statewide um Reopening plan—you need to do in sections because obviously Chicago is very different. Like ninety—I mean, I'm making this number up—but like ninety percent of people in Illinois live in Chicago or the yeah. Chicagoland area. So
1: Illinois actually separated into segments for the like order, um. But I—I I know, like for instance, so like we, Illinois as a whole supposedly is moving into, as the five-stage opening, like stage three at the beginning of June, or technically May 29th, or whatever they've said that is, so next weekend. Um, And in most of Illinois, that includes gyms, nail salons, haircuts, outdoor patios for restaurants. But in the city of Chicago, our mayor has said, no, you need to, like, you need to wait so, yeah, for when, like, outdoor patios will be reopened. But I was actually, like, talking with a friend yesterday about it, and, like, we both agree that, like, we should not be opening Chicago patios yet. Because if you think, like, Big Star... That was our point of reference, was like, Big Star, can you imagine what a wait at Big Star is going to look like if they're at 25 to 50% capacity? Like, people are just going to stand there.
0: Well, not even that. Right. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, Big Star packs people in, so. Yeah. And I live right there, too, which is kind of, like, scary. Um, I agree. Right. So, like, patio season in Chicago was just, like, an insane time in general, um, I was talking to my boyfriend about this and it was basically like, even if like patios and restaurants yeah, do open, we're not going to
1: go We're probably not The only time gonna we would go would, any go of them.
0: Like, would be no, if
1: like our like, friend's we've already places opened. That would be the only reason we would go somewhere, to go support our friends.
0: Agreed. Yeah, I agree with that. Because like at this point, there's, you're not getting in anywhere. You're going to be waiting. We've already like resigned ourselves to yep. either like... This summer being, yep. like, a summer of hanging out with people at their houses on, like, porches. Um, or, like, yeah. trips. Yeah, I mean. we can drive somewhere.
1: Yeah, we've.
0: And, like, just I mean, go explore, like, a we trail pretty or much
1: assumed we'll be within the area. Um, and, I mean, I was going to save this for a final thoughts topic, but I actually think it's more relevant to talk about now, like, We're actually both super worried about moving into, like, a new normal and our new normal being, like, public transit. Like, I'm very hesitant to get on the bus or the blue line. Like, I think that's my biggest concern. It's like, obviously, I personally don't have a car. And I know you don't either. So, like, I take the blue line or the bus everywhere Or an Uber, even. Like, I don't even know that I want to be taking Uber's places. Like, that's my,
0: that's, like, my biggest
1: fear. It's not even, like, going back to work. It's, like, or going to a restaurant. It's, like, getting there.
0: Yeah, I actually have that same fear that you do. Um, And I've been thinking about that as well. So, like, I went to my boyfriend's apartment to Mm -hmm. go grab something from it um, last weekend. And it's normally, like, a 20-minute trip between the Blue Line and walking. I didn't want to take the blue line, was not going to Uber, so I walked the entire way. And it was yeah. 40 minutes each way. And I, like like I said, I didn't I didn't want to take any of that. So I get it. And I think that the new normal may be, like, literally just neighborhood bars yeah. and neighborhood restaurants.
1: But it's even hard to, like, and see I think your that's friends. that's
0: what we're gearing up towards. Because, like, exactly. you can't walk to someone's place. Well, like, our friends live close by i will and that's say, the scary thing like our friends actually realistically live close by but it's still like a yeah. 45 minute walk instead of a 20 minute yeah walk in public train i know that's going
1: to be i think a weird thing to get used to or like i mean within my apartment we have a car so that we could drive and park but then that means limiting the amount of drinking we're doing because we have to drive home so like we're we're you know, yeah. kind of thinking through how that's going to go so, around that, around that topic, um, I actually found a really interesting article in the Sun-Times here in Chicago. Um, while the state remains shut down, apparently a lot of residents in the Chicagoland area specifically, and I mean, I'm sure in other parts, but I think this area, this article was more about the Chicago residents. Um, people are heading out of state to go shop and go eat out while the states are still shut down.
0: Yeah, I mean, Indiana is a stone throws away, and you can get to Indiana pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, my boyfriend's dad was talking about how, like, he was golfing in Indiana, and you can literally see, like, across the state line into Illinois. And it's, mm-hmm. like, decrepit, but, like, Indiana's booming because they're opening up. Um, which isn't too early. We'll find out.
1: Yeah. But- well, thinking about Indiana specifically opening early, I mean, we just found out the... This- Previous week that three Floyds is going to maintain closed until they feel confident that they can reopen. They're not closing permanently. destroying. Yeah, well, I meant I meant the brew pub specifically. So the they're obviously not shutting down. They're not closing their doors permanently. But right. they have not agreed to when they are going to reopen. But I think it's really interesting that specifically, like, people are going out of state to go eat. I mean, you've done it, but, like, to go out to eat or go out, drink, grab drinks or go shopping to states that are, like, right. open. So, like, this article that I have is specifically about people going to Lake Geneva in Wisconsin. And, like, I think that's yeah. super interesting that people are, like... Oh, I'm comfortable enough to go somewhere else where I don't feel
0: the need to, like, you know. So, I've read, so, Lake Geneva, like, really, really wants people from Chicago to come because they are solely based on tourism. Right. Yeah, Lake Geneva is a tourist Um, town. Right. Uh, but my understanding is that, like, a lot of Wisconsin doesn't actually want Illinois people. I don't doubt that. <laughs> um, but, like, the touristy areas do, which is super interesting. Um, but I actually have some articles about, like, how this is affecting the beer industry specifically. So I kind of wanted to get into Well, uh, before
1: that. we even get to the beer industry, there was one other thing I wanted to mention. Um, so there actually – this came out last night um, – There has been a challenge to the Illinois stay-at-home order, and the U.S. National Justice Department has backed this challenge. So, like, the Trump administration is supporting this lawsuit against J.B. Pritzker's order to, you know, try and... There's... It's... I don't know. It's super weird to read about.
0: (laughs) It's it's interesting because J.B. Pritzker's order is way more conservative than the national order which states 12 week or um, 14 days yeah. of declining cases yeah. jb pritzker pritzker is asking for essentially what amounts to six weeks of declining cases before opening bars and restaurants um so i think that's probably where that one comes from i just find it super
1: interesting because and like even in michigan i mean it's been a whole thing like i think you hear more about michigan specific protests than anywhere else like news wise like i feel like that's all i've heard about is i don't even live in michigan i hear more about the michigan protests like i i will completely in all candor so i mean, we've kind of already let into it so let's talk how like bars have been affected i guess i mean like
0: so, I've read a figure um, just specifically specific to the Illinois Restaurant Association, and they're expecting 5,000 bars and restaurants in Illinois to shut down, and that's approximately 50%. Um, there's, like, a running list on, I think, Eater of places that have closed down yeah. at this point.
1: Yeah, Eater's been, like, the main source of news I've gotten around restaurants and stuff.
0: I mean, one of our favorite places, Lynx, is permanently shut down.
1: Well, they're permanently shut down until they can find a new location and a new business model. So Lynx, yeah. Lynx is a hard one to, like, talk about because they've been in kind of a rough situation since they had their significant shutdown about a year ago.
0: Yeah, when their pipes burst. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, like, places Um, like I can talk to specifically, like, Crown Liquors in Logan Square is permanently closed. Um, the the same person that owns Crown Liquors owns High Dive here in Westtown, and I think that's, if it hasn't been announced, I think that's going to permanently close, because it's the same owners. Um, fat, so, like, some places have changed their business model for the long term. So, like, I think the big one in the area has been Fat Rice in Logan Square, yeah. which has completely converted to a like market type. You know, like a like a market rather yep. than a sit down restaurant.
0: Yeah, that's actually really interesting to bring up, because there are quite a few places that have changed their business, not modeled. So, like, Lily Q's, their lease was ending. Yeah. Oh, this is, they, this is perfect to
1: talk about, because this just happened as of the day we're recording. is Friday. It's the first day that it's, like, an yeah. order. So, like...
0: So, Lily Q's closed their location in March. Bucktown, Wigger Park-ish area. Yeah, it was at, um, it at it was, the end of their lease. It was at North Ave in Bucktown. Um, and they've converted to being the in-house barbecue for District Brew Yards. I'm really excited Uh, about this, by the way. I am too. Um, I think it's a great decision because Brew Yards already had smoked meats. It's a great idea to bring in, like, actual barbecue. Um, and in general, I mean, we loved Lily Q's, but we never really ate there. But we were at Brew Yards all the time. Um, so I think it's a better business model for them as well because they now don't have their own huge overhead that they have to pay for their seating. They share that with the collective.
1: One thing I think that's going to be really interesting about that model specifically is so yeah, Lily Q's was known for their barbecue, but they were also known for having like moonshine cocktails. So I think that's going to be a big change for their business model and like their clientele. Because like, I mean I can only speak to the one person that I live with that was obsessed with the Lily Q's moonshine cocktails. And he was like, I love brew yards, but what about my, what am I going to do about my moonshine cocktails? So I think that, that's, that may be a one-off situation that I'm dealing with. But I, I just think that, like, Lily Q had
0: a clientele around their barbecue and cocktails. Um... So, I do want to say that what's interesting with the bar and restaurant closure is how this is affecting the craft beer industry. So, um, I've read some articles about how there are about a million kegs that need to be destroyed. I
1: don't even doubt that. So,
0: um, well, between losses of kegs on St. Patrick's Day, so restaurants and bars not being opened on St. Patrick's Day, um, March Madness. Okay, so... Um, yeah, between stadiums, concert halls, restaurants, bars, Ugh. um, there are millions of gallons of beers that need to be disposed of, so it's a million kegs. One million kegs are going stale at the end of this month. Um, and the huge problem now is how do people dispose of it? Um, so, like, they can't, it can't be dumped, it can't be poured into rivers because it upsets the pH, um, like, the microbacterial... Mm-hmm content of the water um and this is because of saint patrick's day march madness shows like this is all just like completely like a new well so if you
1: also think about it expected. like so between march madness concert halls just general people going to restaurants the stanley cup playoffs would have happened so like yep. hockey arenas basketball would have
0: still happened baseball would be starting like yep so this big this article from the wall street journal estimates 10 million gallons of beer were abandoned in venues in March alone. Oh, my God. And that's according to the National Beer Wholesaler – Beer Wholesalers Association. That's crazy. Um, And, like, so this beer could cost the industry as much as a billion dollars. And then, I mean, this article also talks about, like, who's paying for that beer? Because, obviously, craft, craft beer industry is struggling. Yeah. Um, and this is actually talking about, and like the restaurants and bars are struggling. So this article talks about how like the big, um, the big players in the game. So Diageo, AB, InBev, Constellation Brands, Mm -hmm. um, have all said that they'll share the cost with their distributors so that bars and restaurants don't have to pay for this expired beer that they cannot sell. Well, that's good. Which is nice to hear. Yeah, that's really nice to hear. Um, and then a lot of these bigger players, so AB, InBev, and Constellation, Diageo, are... Temporarily extending the expiration dates on their draft beer. They're trying to figure out if they can treat the beer with defilmer and balance pH so that it can be sent for testing to see if they can dump it. Yeah, that makes but sense. But, like, right now, they have no idea what to do with it. Um, so, it's just, like, a huge money, like, loss because, one, like, kegs weigh out trucks before they space out Correct, trucks. right. Kegs are so heavy on their own. Right. So they weigh out when filled. So like restaurants and bars sending them back costs three times as much as it would sending back an empty keg. Mm -hmm. So like there's a money loss right there. There's money loss on the expired product on how to dispose it. Like this is costing so much money to the industry.
1: So one brewery um, actually, I will say has done a really unique thing with, all of this going on and like knowing that they're going to be losing kegs. And I already alluded to it cause I've been drinking it, but, um, so revolution had 160 kegs of anti-hero that were going to go off code. So they were going to just like destroy it. And they decided to collaborate with CH distillery also here in Chicago who had Owns Jepson's Malort. Uh, CH Distillery partnered with Revolution in order to make this anti hero Malort. Um, it's the, from what I've been able to tell, it's the third collaborative Malort that's ever been in existence.
0: Um, That's what I read as well, but it's the first one that you can buy.
1: Correct. So the other ones who had to be at a specific event and like, drink it in person, but this is the first one they've been distributing. But the other cool thing is that both Revolution and CH Distillery are going to be donating towards the CompTab Relief Fund, which was set up by an organization called Support Staff. And all of this is going towards bartenders that work in the Chicagoland area. Also, I was doing some research on support staff as an organization. All of their relief efforts, up to $35,000, are going to be matched by a private donor. So as of now, they haven't even reached $25,000. So they still can earn another 10000 more and there's a private donor that's going to match all of that money. So like that's really nice that there's someone out there that's backing all of these donations. And I've noticed that a lot of the GoFundMes I've been participating in or like even with me being a part of the brewery running series, we have a private donor that's working with us as well. They've, like, chosen to remain completely anonymous, but they're going to match all of our donations to COVID relief
0: funds. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy how this is affecting the industry. So, I'm, I had an article that I read that was talking about, like, just purely, like, closures. And that obviously, like, affects people working. and Yeah. Um. So this article is suggesting that it's from the Brewers Association and it's just a survey of like owners of breweries and they're saying that forty six percent of craft breweries may be forced to close within three months, and that was in April. Um so That's crazy to think that we're still in... five respondents from forty nine states. Yeah. It's still touch and go. So two and a half percent of the respondents out of the four hundred and fifty five people that responded or were- 455 businesses that responded two and a half said that they were planning to close um that's about 200 12.7 said they could stay afloat for one to four weeks 8.3 percent said or sorry 25 percent said that it was between three and six months for them 8.3 percent said they could hang on between six months and a year and then 5.1 percent said that they could stay in business for a year So that's just... Yeah, I um, think it's
1: going to be really interesting what the beer industry looks like at the end of this.
0: Well, not just that, but, like, the... So the respondents, they had to um, reply with how many employees they have, and they employ collective 13,454 workers, and that's, like I said, 455 breweries that responded. Um, And, like, 70... Just under 7,500 are full-time, and just under 6,000 are part-time. So... The majority of those have been laid off. And that's kind of like what these funds go to help with.
1: Yeah. Well, I know here in Chicago for a couple of weeks, there was a Chicago Hospitality United Fund where you could purchase a t-shirt that went to all of the hospitality workers that went in Chicago. And I know you and I both participated in that fundraiser. Um, and then then I know some breweries specifically have had their, either their own GoFundMe or they've designed their own merchandise where, like, certain merchandise goes directly to the bartenders and the staff. So, like, I know just from, like, what I've participated in, like, I have Half Acres We're Still Beer merchandise that went directly, all the funds went directly to their staff, um, I think one thing that's been really interesting is that now that these small business loans from the government are going to actual small businesses rather than large businesses filing on behalf of their franchises or like the fucking Lakers filing for millions of dollars to pay their own staff when they're not a small business. Like now that like the money is going to small businesses, you're seeing places reopen. And you can kind of tell who got a fund and who so, did um, it based
0: on who reopened. That's actually kind of the interesting that you bring up especially. The, um, like the big players getting um, PPP loans. Because I'm actually looking at an article from NBC News that talks about how... like, So, for example, this is just specifically about how social distancing caused beer sales to spike at supermarkets and stores. But craft retailers or craft, beer, craft breweries typically don't make a ton of money off of supermarkets and um, store sales because they sell more to uh, restaurants, bars, and then in their own tasting rooms, which aren't open. So while people are buying more yeah. and more yeah. beer, and are drinking more right now, it's not actually helping any craft brewers. And a lot of craft breweries are having to change uh, their business model right now. So they're doing, obviously, like a lot more canning and a lot more... Uh, like, direct-to-consumer at this point. But that's a huge business model change for them. Well, if you noticed, so
1: specifically within Chicago, from what I can think of off the top of my head, like, Metropolitan Brewing up in Avondale area has released cans for the very first time because they weren't doing anything any distribution whatsoever and they yep. realized they had to because well obviously so no one can go to their tap The brewery. interesting
0: thing and this actually article talks about bell's brewery which is a huge brewer um uh, it says that two-fifths of its business nationwide
1: nationwide not they're huge in no, they're huge in bell's michigan before. but like their nationwide brewery isn't too hard to consider it considered like about too hard. It's yeah. considered one yep. of the number one beers in the entire nation. Uh, like two fifths of sales so is from
0: restaurants and bars. Um, and it's while it's seen an increase in sales through stores, they have fifty thousand kegs of Oberon that were shipped to bars and restaurants that need to be returned or disposed of. So that's fifty thousand kegs that they, and that's six point two million pints. So like six point two million cans that they could have sold. Um. And. Yeah. The huge thing that this article is talking about is how difficult it is to get aluminum at this point. So, it's talking about how canning is key right now. The only way that these breweries are going to stay, yeah, this is yeah. my favorite. This is my Actually, favorite part the of The Only discovery way we haven't that these, bre- these um, craft brewers are going to stay in business is by canning, and they're talking about how like how difficult it is to get cans because they're you can get what you've always done at this point. But there's not, like, a ramp up in production of cans. Or not enough of a ramp up to support every single brewery canning it only. So, I mean. And they're now.
1: So, I think we can both speak to this as packaging industry professionals. But, like. There is a couple of companies that have the entire market for all of cans. Like, I don't think people realize that it's, like, one or two companies that provide all of the cans for the entire country. Like, that's it. And so the fact that they can only produce so much and then, like, that only gives so much to the breweries and to the rest of the industry, whether you're making soda or coffee in a can or, like, anything. There's only so many places. And you they're all competing
0: against for. the big guys. So, like, not just beer, but, like, these companies, these craft brewers yeah. are competing against, like, Pepsi, Coke, Soda, um, AB anything. InBev, Molson Coors, like, just all of these huge canning company, companies that provide beverages and cans. And so, like, Bells is talking about, like, in Bells being a huge craft brewer is struggling to get cans and that kind of brings us into the great crowler shortage of 2020 um where in an effort to support oh man this is this is insane in an effort to support craft brewers um the country ran out of crowlers and like Ball Ball is the only, the sole producer of Growlers in the country. I mean, even Growlers, I mean, yeah we we had a huge. Yeah. So Ball being the sole producer of Growlers in the country could not keep up with the demand. And generally speaking, Growlers aren't actually the most popular style to ball buy. And I would say it's a Growler, um, but a lot of breweries do sell crawlers and that's kind of what yeah, they were doing at say. that point was selling crawlers as many crawlers as they could um, so it was just this huge spike in crawler consumption um, and Ball had no productions like they didn't have enough production scheduled to maintain the supply and I think at this point we're probably over it but like that's when these brewers are these brewing breweries are relying on crowler sales and can sales to maintain their distro and maintain like their influx of cash um a hit like that with not having supply of just regular supply of cans is disastrous and detrimental yeah I just can't get over 6.2 yeah, ma- really million pints of Oberon. I'm really interested
1: to see how... That's a lot that's of Oberon. That's so much beer. Like, that's a lot of Oberon. I mean, I can... 6.2 million pints. That's like, so a pint is the tallest. I'm pints. really interested to see how... Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how... Things I'm really interested to see how things go with the industry. I don't want any of our, you know, friends to go into a spot where they're not doing well. And I know we can at least, you know, if you haven't done so, go support your local breweries. Like, you can, yeah, you can buy from the grocery store, but go... And do, a lot of places have changed their models to a curbside pickup or a delivery option. Like, there are more places doing delivery that have ever done beliv- delivery before. I almost yeah. said delivery. That makes no sense. I think
0: that's the big thing but, to note from this. And that's the big point that we're trying to you make. you
1: can to support your local beer industry.
0: Yeah, I agree. And that's the point we're trying to make, I think, at this point, is that, like, yes, you can go get beer from the grocery store but if you can and if you're able to go directly to the brewer go directly to your local brewery that you love and try to get like a crowd you will get a lot a more of the profit yep
1: just do what you can to support support your local bars even if a place isn't open like a lot of breweries or even i mean even if a brewery is open Or if a bar is open for, like, some kind of carryout. They have a lot of GoFundMe set up. So, like, I would highly recommend, please, like, give to your friends that don't have the money right now. Like, I just... I've been doing a lot to help out with bars, restaurants, and music venues, that I want to touch on before we close. Um, Yeah. But, like, give to the staff that works there. Like, you obviously... If you're listening to this, I I know you have friends, and you regularly go to a bar or a restaurant, and you know, you recognize some of the employees there, like, just give give to a GoFundMe, buy directly from them, do what you can to help them right now, because they need the
0: help. Agreed. And let's go into the music piece, because we haven't touched on that, and that's kind of huge, because, like, we talked about the Illinois five-stage plan, and- Essentially, music doesn't come back. Like Music venues don't come back until Phase 5, which is contingent on a cure. So, at
1: least for independent venues, so independent venues meaning those not owned by Live Nation, um, there has been, due to the coronavirus, a National Independent Venue Association that has formed... <clears throat> to help independent venues, you know, lobby to Congress and lobby in order to get support during this pandemic. So NEVA, the National Independent Venue Association, has formed as of April 2020, and their entire goal is to help venues and promoters to, you know, obviously get support during all of this, because according to... I mean, as we all, I think we all know this, but Dana Frank, who is the president and she is also the owner of First Avenue in Minneapolis. She has said that music venues are the first to close and they're going to be the last to open. We're actually running the risk right now that if there are no concerts in 2020, that 90% of independent music venues are potentially going to close like just think about that 90 percent and even if you don't think a venue is like an independent music venue like there's a lot of places that are like a larger group that are also still considered an independent venue so any option you want for music and even some bars i've looked at like the list of the members nationwide that are part of neva There are, like, bars that offer maybe one day a week they have a live performance. They count as a live music venue. So you're looking at 90% of venues closing if we don't, you know, have the ability to open. And I found that super crazy to find out. I mean, that doesn't even affect the artists. That's just the venues. So... Actually, when Neva formed C Tickets, who we've actually purchased before, which is like an artist-supported service, and then Light Tickets, which is another artist- artist-supported service, kind of funded them to get going. And Neva's been really the ones that are taking the local venues to Congress to kind of try and lobby because obviously, like, Even if here in Illinois, they opened 50, you know, you could have 50 people at a place, like, no music venue is going to be able to support that. So they're looking for relief as well as bars and restaurants. But on top of the venues themselves needing relief, so the artists need relief, so... Right now, there's been quite a few organizations that are working to support the artists themselves. So a company is actually formed in order to support, like, live streaming at home that benefits an artist and a venue. There's a company called Noon Chorus that is formed and what you do is, like, an artist will announce that they are live streaming on Noon Chorus, and you give a 15 to $20 donation, and then you that money goes to, like, letting you watch an artist's live stream, and part of the proceeds, to my understanding, go to the artist and the venue that they partner with. So you get kind of the best of both worlds there. And then obviously a lot of artists have been using Patreon. So like our, one of our, as a team, one of our favorite groups, um, of Montreal has been using Patreon to post some side, you know, content and whether he's releasing songs or art or having conversations with his fans, he's using Patreon for that. A lot of artists have been using Instagram Live. So I've been seeing a lot of Instagram Live posts, you know, recently more than anything else. And then I will say Bandcamp has actually done an extraordinary job in helping the artists that use the site. So typically Bandcamp takes anywhere from 10 to 15% of a sale, whether it be digital or like physical product or music from the artist whenever someone purchases through the site. So Bandcamp has announced that they will be doing a few days this summer to waive all of those fees to the artists so that that money will go directly to them. So... They did one on March 20th, which was their test trial. And, Lindsay, I know you and I both participated in that day. They did one Friday, May 1st. And then they have announced, and it's coming up really soon, so keep your eyes open, Friday, June 5th, and Friday, July 3rd will be the next two days that they're giving all of their fees directly to the artists rather than charging them. Using Bandcamp as a service. Yep.
0: Um, and then, in collaboration with that, some of the so, record labels have also waived their percentage as well. So, like potentially a hundred percent is going back to the artists, depending on who you support.
1: Yeah, and then there's also been musicians doing shows within Fortnite or Minecraft or that Or so Club like Penguin re- I've seen didn't Soccer Mommy do a show on Club Penguin? They did. Well, I know the big one I'm thinking of right now was in Fortnite. Um Travis Scott performed one of the largest concerts he ever has in his entire career was via Fortnite. Yeah. And then I know Brick by Brick West took place in Minecraft. They've done it twice so far this year. And artists like Cherry Glazer has been involved. Yep. Massive Attack was involved in the first Brick by Brick West. Idols was in it. Sports team was in it. Like you can get all kinds of different genres of music
0: supporting, you know,
1: and all of the proceeds went towards COVID nineteen.
0: Yep. Um, and I think on that note does that pretty much cover it for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we've covered as much as we possibly can about ways that you can go
0: help your local breweries or local music scene or restaurants. Yeah, um, I'm, th- I'm thinking no final thoughts for that for this episode. Um, we're no, I agree.
1: With... My so. I have a thought to do final thoughts about how our personal mental health were affected by this, but we can always do that as a bonus episode.
0: Yeah. I would just say that we should, um, let's just end this episode saying like, go ahead, try and support like whoever you can, wherever you can. Obviously like things are not necessarily the same for everyone. We're lucky enough to have our same jobs, um, and not have like a pay decrease. So we're trying to help as much as we can. Um, but even just like as we always say, like posting on social media that this venue or this brewery or this bar is doing this thing um, is helpful just to get the awareness out. So if you can,
1: yeah, I would share any GoFundMe that you can share anything that your favorite local brewery is doing to offer distribution or offer you know any kind of support to their staff and give whatever you can to go fund me's in the area because I know Lindsay and I can both speak from our personal experiences like right now we need to do we both have jobs that are secure for now that we need to do what we can to help those that are in need
0: yeah so on that note um, thank you for listening as always um, write and review if you can um, okay. we'll read it like we always say but nobody ever does it so we never read it like we said no final thoughts we will see you next time yep and listen to the song for the handles all right that was the episode so we love hearing from you um and if you want to contact us you can do so through our email address it is drunk at gmail.com we are also on Facebook at Drunk and Uncultured Podcast. Our Instagram is Drunk and Uncultured. And our Twitter is Drunk Uncultured. No and. And as always, I'm Lindsay, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Lindsay Sold Out. And I'm Stephanie, and you can find me
1: on Untapped, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr as underscore Stefan Color. And you can also follow my concert Instagram at Shitty concert blog. Stay drunk, guys. See you next time.